This is Dr. What, Dr. Where, Stories of Rural Medicine. It's the podcast exploring what it's like to further your training and practice medicine in regional Victoria. Rural generalism is a branch of general practice which takes on advanced skills in a specialist field, and practitioners often divide their time between general practice and working at a regional health service. It's a dynamic field that can take you anywhere, from Victoria's largest regional centres to towns with a thousand people or less. Dr Louise Manning is a Rural Generalist Registrar working across Castlemaine, Bendigo and Maryborough. She's training to become a Rural Generalist with a focus on obstetrics, something which Louise hopes will bring variety to her career and a set of skills which are needed and appreciated in rural communities. I think the idea of the GP that can do everything is quite romantic and whilst I guess these days doing everything potentially isn't something that everyone would want to do, being able to do something a little bit extra was really appealing to me. And I guess going through medical school and being exposed to GP obstetricians and GP anaesthetists who worked uh, in Chuka, it kind of really opened my eyes up to a different version of medicine where you could have all of that variety and still get to do a little bit of something extra or something different on the side. For me, obstetrics is that, and I really love it. Um, so it's really great to be able to see pregnant women in, in the general practice and, and indeed, hopefully when the Castlemaine Birthing Service is, is back up and running again at the end of the year, be able to deliver women myself. But I also go across to Maryborough with one of my mentors and um, doing obstetrics across there with him. But then also being able to maintain the more higher acuity skills that you generally wouldn't see as frequently in a low risk setting such as Castlemaine or Maryborough. By doing that uh, in Bendigo has been really good, but yeah, definitely busy. Was rural medicine always the plan for you? Uh, I'm not sure that medicine itself was the plan initially. Um, I grew up in a relatively small town and didn't have very many female doctor mentors. So I don't think it was ever anything that was really... Well, there wasn't really much exposure for me, but there, it wasn't something that I could see myself doing or anything that was encouraged. My, my parents have always encouraged me to do whatever I wanted and to excel academically, but medicine until I did my undergraduate degree wasn't something that I'd considered at all. But once I kind of got that spark and the interest was there and I worked really hard for my goal and I did it as a postgraduate student, I guess being part of the rural clinical school and getting exposure to rural settings as well as my own experience of growing up in a rural town really consolidated that kind of desire of mine to want to come back and, and give to smaller communities. You've touched on senior clinicians and consultants who are sort of guiding you through your training journey. What role do those mentors play? Uh, mentorship is probably one of the most important things that a junior doctor should seek out. If you don't currently have a mentor, you should try and find one. And I know that there are a lot of people, particularly out there in the medical education sphere, who would love to hook junior doctors up with um, more senior clinicians that can help them on their journey. Um, for me, it's been really instrumental in trying to figure out my own career path and I guess bounce things off somebody who's already been there and done that and try to get their view on whether what I'm thinking is actually feasible or if I'm trying to uh, be too big for my boots per se. So for me, I've had mentors throughout my whole medical journey. I had some amazing mentors as a medical student 
um, and then moving forward into my junior doctor years in the hospital system, developed a few more. And at the moment, my um, one of my immediate supervisors and and now close friend um, is my current mentor and it's helping me experience what GP obstetrics is supposed to be. Um, and I think without him, it would be really challenging to know exactly what the job would entail, given that it's so different to what you would do just in hospital-based obstetrics. So yeah, mentors are super important and I would encourage all junior doctors to go out there looking and put the feelers out and see if you can find someone that you connect with um, because it's um, so helpful. How have you found that overall experience with supervisors and mentors across the different regional health services you've trained at? Everybody's been so supportive and really I haven't come across any barriers to doing what I want to do and people have been flexible at trying to foster my interests so that I can maintain my skills and build my skills in a way that is both intellectually stimulating for myself but also serves the communities that I'm currently working in. Would you have any stories from your time training across the different health services that you would be willing to talk about or discuss? some sort of experience you got to have that you perhaps might not have been able to do if you were training in a metropolitan hospital or something which might have sort of highlighted why you got into GP obstetrics? The kind of crystallizing point that made me go GP obstetrics is something that I'm really interested in pursuing would probably be when I was a third year medical student doing my um, extended rural cohort placement in Echuca. Um, And I remember quite clearly going into the clinic that day and being with one of the supervisors, Peter, who was also a GP obstetrician. And I remember sitting um, and doing some parallel consulting with him and going, oh, GP is really interesting. This is is really cool. But then because I was attached to him that day and he was on call for obstetrics, we got a call saying, oh, there's a woman in labour, you have to come to the hospital. So I got to tag along with him and go across and see a birth, which was was great. And then we we went back to um, the clinic to see a couple more patients. And then um, unfortunately the woman's placenta had not um, separated and the, the midwives had inadvertently pulled off the the cord. So there was it was trapped and there was no way it was gonna come out. So then we had to then arrange a theater in like a relatively small town. So calling the GP and easotist in and then all the theater staff in and then went across and I was able to Uh, assist him to be able to remove this placenta I just remember thinking wow I'm so tired but I also feel so energized because I've been able to do so many interesting and different things in one day and then uh, the next day can be completely different again Um, and when you're doing skin cancer excisions or popping in implanons or myrenas for women for contraception or talking to an elderly gentleman about his diabetes and I think general practice as a whole regardless of whether you work in a rural or a metropolitan setting does have that I guess diversity to some extent but only in a rural area can you be able to foster those advanced skills in pediatrics anesthetics obstetrics or even mental health um, and then be able to use them on a day-to-day basis along with the already um, diverse practice that is general practice. Going up to Echuca to do your extended rural cohort and now you're based in central Victoria and you're working across a number of different towns. How have you found sort of having to move around a lot of different communities while you're training? Ideally, it'd be awesome if I could do everything that I wanted to do in the one location. But as a trainee, particularly 
when trying to consolidate the advanced obstetric skills that I got by doing my 12 month advanced diploma at a larger center last year. Uh, at this stage in my training, it's probably not feasible for me to just be out in a small town in the middle of whoop whoop doing things by myself. I don't think I would feel very comfortable with that. And I don't think that I'd be able to serve the community justice if that was the situation. So for me, being able to have the flexibility of working across a number of different health services and physical locations has been really good for that. So it has meant that I can develop the community connection in Castlemaine where I'm based 80% of the time um, and really get to know a cohort of patients and know what that particular community needs from its doctors in order to have good quality health care, but still be able to maintain more higher acuity obstetric skills by my work in Bendigo. I guess having a skill set that is wanted, such as obstetrics, particularly in a regional setting, by being able to go across to Maryborough, I'm able to provide a service to that particular community. And, and whilst I'd obviously prefer to be in one place and not have to move around a lot, it's really nice to be able to contribute and I'm hoping that soon I'll be on the on-call roster also so it can kind of lift some of the burden off the current workforce which will be really good and then I guess hopefully as the years go on we can be seen as a, a training and education centre of excellence and then get more junior people coming through um, and then that in itself will make the on-call much easier and more enjoyable. As you're wrapping up university and you're heading into your first years as a doctor, generally speaking, you'll you know you'll get a contract for your internship year, and then you get into your registrar year and get another year's contract. But in between that, there there might be a, a bit of uncertainty in terms of you know where you'll go to next or whether you'll get into the the training programs and pathways that you're after. But what's been your experience? planning out a training pathway, but also following it through in a regional setting? I guess for me, I'm one of those few people that when they left medical school, they had a pretty clear idea of what they wanted to do. So I, I knew that I didn't want to intern in the city. I knew I wanted to intern in a, a large regional city rather than Melbourne per se, so that I could get a broad exposure to a variety of different specialties within medicine and surgery before I then went into rural general practice. So that's what I already knew what I wanted to do. So for me, it was just a matter of getting a diverse experience across a variety of specialties so that by the time that I did enter general practice, which I've only just done this year, I had that exposure already under my belt and that knowledge there. That said, it's really uncommon to know what you want to do when you do graduate from medical school. So um, my advice to the, the new interns out there is that it's okay, you've got time. If you're not sure, take the time to do some general years where you can get that kind of breadth of exposure so you can, I guess, cherry pick what you like. If you go in and you go, oh, I don't like anything, well, that's a bit more challenging. Um, but I'm sure there'll be one area within medicine, given it's so broad, that you'll that you'll like and you'll be able to head in that way. Or you might be like me and you go, oh, everything's really interesting. I like everything, in which case something like general practice or another form of generalism, be that general paediatrics or general surgery might be more up your alley where you still get the um, diversity of exposure, but you don't feel like you're narrowed in to one subspecialty because I know that I would 
get very bored if all I did every day was look at the left big toe, for example. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. If you don't know what you want to do, take the time to try out different specialties. Be a resident for as long as you need until you know exactly which kind of direction you want to head down. And do utilise the hubs because they um, are developing a number of uh, career development tools that you can plug in the specialties that you're interested in and then it'll spit out after it works through this fancy algorithm what might be um, the best pathway for you to achieve your goals. And what does the future look like for you? So once I guess my obstetric skills are a bit more consolidated and I feel more confident and comfortable, particularly in my surgical cesarean section skills, I would like to be working in uh, rural GP obstetrics in a centre where I can offer emergency seizures, where I can work with um, women trying to get pregnant, work with them during their pregnancy, deliver their babies and then look after the whole family once the babies are born and look after the partners, the grandparents and look after everybody. I'm very happy where I am currently, but obviously there's not a huge number of rural maternity services that are still still running, particularly with seizures. So I've just got to keep my, my eye on the prize and hopefully I'll end up in a beautiful place and be able to do what I love to do every day. The diverse range of experiences rural generalism has to offer begins right from medical school and your first years of training. Dr Emily Harrison is a rural generalist and currently the acting clinical lead of Swan Hill District Health's emergency department. In this role, she supervises rural generalist trainees and says the breadth of experience is a great introduction to rural generalism. We have our own junior doctors that work for Swan Hill District Health and they're mainly international medical graduates that work for us. But we also get um, junior doctors rotating from Bendigo into the emergency department as well as junior doctors from St Vincent's that come up and see us. And we have medical students as well from Monash Uni that come through the ED. So we have quite a variety of junior doctors and then we have a lot of locum junior doctors as well that will come and work for us from a variety of different health services there's a huge range with different experience when it comes to rural medicine. For a health service the size of Swan Hill, what level of specialisation would the junior doctors engage in? It's probably nearly the opposite. We are very much a generalist hospital. So all the doctors that work for us need to be ready and prepared to do a huge variety of different things. We have specialist surgeons that work for us, but all of the acute medical and emergency management of patients is done by rural generalists mainly. So we're very much a generalist run hospital. And so there's a huge expanse of knowledge and variety of patients that come through the door. How would that influence a training experience for someone looking at a rural generalist pathway? I think it, what it really does is it exposes them to the huge variety of medicine that comes with being a rural generalist. The junior doctors often really enjoy their rotations out to Swan Hill and working in Swan Hill because they have the opportunity to see any patient that comes through the door, regardless of acuity or presentation. And I really encourage the junior doctors to see the really sick patients that often they don't get exposed to in the larger centres because there are more registrars and other junior doctors sort of competing for the more interesting patients, whereas in Swan Hill, 
there's just them, me, and maybe one other doctor. So they are expected and get to see anything that comes through the door. And I really encourage them to, to be proactive in picking up the, the complex and the interesting patients that they might not see in the larger centres. Could that be a little bit intimidating? Would the doctors perhaps feel like they've been thrown into the deep end? I hope not because all the junior doctors during the day have senior medical officer on the floor with them to stand by their side and support them through the management of those um, really sick and complex patients. We have a quite a supportive emergency department that means that regardless of what comes through the door, there's always someone there to ask questions and help them through the process. There's no expectation that they should be doing anything alone or independent and often get good feedback from the junior doctors that they have found the support in the health service really positive and and quite enjoy that opportunity to see those sicker patients with that support. So it can be intimidating, but I get scared when I'm on the floor some days when something unusual comes through the door and it's just part of medicine. You know, you never know what's going to come. And and that's, I guess, also part of the joy that I have when I'm doing medicine is that I never know what's going to come. You know, in those sort of cases, you would have support from other tertiary centres or perhaps referral services? Yeah, that's when you call for help. So whether it's help within the health service to get more people to come and help and look at someone and go, well, I don't know what's going on either, or whether you call the adult retrieval service or the other health services elsewhere to get some advice and management. So, you know, we'll call the specialist cardiologists or other surgeons and neurologists and things, depending on what the presentation is, to get advice and management. Working in a rural health service, there's lots of people within the health service to help support you and that sort of thing. But one of the big concerns about heading out to a rural generalist pathway would be that you might be a bit isolated and there might not be that support in place. Yeah, so definitely working in rural and remote centres. And I've done a lot of work in like rural Queensland, remote Queensland and New South Wales, where you might be the only doctor in town. And even for a couple of hundred kilometres, it can be quite intimidating. But the training given to rural generalism gives you those skills to manage anything that comes through the door for that acute period of time until help can either come or the patient can be transferred away. One of the struggles people often have with rural generalism is that uncertainty of what's going to come through the door and whether you can manage it. But rural generalist training really does give you those skills to be confident that you can manage whatever you need to for the the periods of time that you do. And there's always some fear and uncertainty in medicine, but some of the best and most fun and most joy I have is when I'm in those remote communities and I realise that I do have the skills to do things that I might not be able to do in other places. Being the only doctor in town, not only would you have to have that wide-ranging skill set, but the community would be quite appreciative of your presence. Yeah, and even when I go for short couple of weeks in small communities, I really feel part of the community and engaged and supported. And you go down to the pub for dinner and you've seen the publican already in the clinic and he's, hi, Dr M, how are you? And you might go back three months later and they still remember you. And it's one of the the joys of the job, I think, is the support and engagement from the community. And they're so grateful to have that health service available to them that it's just the bit I love the most is that that community engagement. Where do you see this field heading? Rural generalism is growing. I think the importance of rural generalists have now been really identified. They've been around forever, but they're always just called your country GP. 
I think the fact that rural journalism has been seen as a specialty and this investment into rural journalist training to really support regional towns and their health service is fantastic. The training program as a statewide training program, I think is a great opportunity for registrars to be able to move around the state and get exposure to a variety of different health services and mentors to really find the town and community that suits them and and the type of medicine that suits them. One of the greatest things about rural journalism is that there's so much variety in the sort of medicine that you can practice that it takes a bit of time sometimes to find the one that suits you for that period of time. And I've done a large variety of different sorts of medicine over the last couple of years since I fellowed that it's really a great training pathway. I think going to college-led training is a really positive way forward for the registrars to have that direct engagement with the colleges to support them through their training and early sort of participation in how they see their training going. I think that's a great way forward. And as an Akram fellow, the college has always been amazingly supportive and interested in my opinion and and getting me involved even as a registrar. So I think that's a really a great step forward for rural journalist training. You've alluded to some differences that a rural generalist job would have compared to perhaps a you know metropolitan GP, but what's the importance of having that specific rural generalist training pathway set aside from just a regular GP pathway? It's a really good question. I often get asked that by my junior doctors of, of what's the difference between you know GP and rural generalism. And I think that I often talk to them about, well, it's where you want to be, where it's where you want to live, what community you want to be engaged in. And rural generalism gives you those skills to cope with, like I said, anything that comes through the door. So you've you've got extra skills other than primary care. So you've got the emergency skills, the anaesthetic skills, the obstetric skills to help support you to manage any emergency or any patient presentation that is needed for your community, as opposed to GP training, which is very much a primary care focus. I think it's really important to recognise that rural journalism is definitely primary care, plus the hospital service, plus the on-call, plus whatever advanced skill it is that you wish to be interested in participating. So my advanced skills, emergency medicine, it was something that I was always attracted to as a junior doctor and as a medical student. And when I saw myself as a rural journalist, I saw that emergency medicine was a skill that wouldn't mean that I could work anywhere confidently. But I've got plenty of friends that are GP anaesthetists that do um, obstetrics. And, you know, there's nine or ten different advanced skills that you can do now that can help support your community increase and improve the health services available to your rural or remote community. That means that your patients don't have to necessarily travel the longer distances to see specialists elsewhere. And I think that's the other aspect. So it's the, the whole rounded training of, of all those extra skills to mean you can cope with any emergency that comes through your door, but also that advanced training that means that your community has an extra resource that can support them and mean that they don't have to go to the big centres as often. Is there any advice you would have for someone looking at getting into a rural generalist pathway? So my advice would be to test everything out. Put your toe in all the different waters and try all those different skills or rotations that as a junior doctor, as a medical student, you were a bit afraid of or weren't quite confident with. Medical training is long and hard and that we want to love the training that we do. And so 
try out a lot of different things, work in different places, expose yourself to a number of different mentors and take your time to go through the training and love what you're doing and love and hope not just the goal of I'm going to be that at the end. You need to love the process to get there because it's long and hard for all training. One of the key points of difference you might find as a rural generalist is being the only one with specialist level skills in a community. Dr. Sarah Rennick-Lau is a rural GP working in Mallacoota. It's a small town of about a thousand people at the eastern tip of Victoria and quite far from specialist care. Bringing some advanced skills or specialist level care into Mallacoota significantly improves access to healthcare eliminating the need for patients to travel long distances. If you have got skills in a particular area, then patients don't necessarily need to travel. And so you can really um, make a big difference to people's access to a big range of care if you're willing to you know, ensure that you've got the skills. So for example, I do quite a lot of bedside ultrasounds, um, which is a really quick and easy way of ruling in and ruling out problems. And um, we provide halter monitoring where we're kind of looking into providing home-based sleep studies because our closest sleep study for diagnosing sleep apnea, which is an increasing problem, is a two-hour drive away and you need to sleep in a motel for the night. And that's another thing that reduces people's access. End-of-life care at home, we do quite a lot of cardiology by distance. And yeah, being able to treat patients at a tertiary level, increasing your technology to a point where you can do as much of that as possible is really rewarding, but also, yeah, makes a big difference to people's access. How has the community responded to your presence in town as the healthcare provider? I've worked in rural areas my whole career, so I'm not sure what it's actually like to work in bigger regional areas or even the city, but it's a pretty um, privileged position that obviously you can't take for granted, but it's very obvious on a day-to-day basis that, that people are really grateful for the care that they receive. If you do go above and beyond, um, then people do notice it. They are certainly very grateful. And there's a lot of opportunity to help people out of difficult situations, which they also appreciate. And it is a pretty unique position within a small community. People are you know, very respectful and with any new doctors that we've had coming into town, you know, very welcoming. Our community in particular, because we had workforce issues over a number of years, have become aware how important it is to support new health and medical families that come into town and they do work really hard at making sure that those families have what they need and what they can provide in the community. What's it like day-to-day practising across such a wide breadth at a surface level in terms of medicine? I guess in a word, it's interesting. You know, every day is different. And, you know, I hear my colleagues in the city potentially complaining about, you know, having to see coughs and colds and the same writing referrals and doing a lot of things that they find quite tedious. And sometimes when it's really busy um, out here, I wish for a day of just being able to see coughs and colds, but really anything can walk in the door and the, the varieties, it's definitely there. And I feel as though I'm practicing across the full breadth of my training, you know, nearly every day. And that's incredibly stimulating and yeah, never boring. And 
I think the other thing too is having a good network of specialists and other experienced providers who are willing to provide you with support means that you can upskill constantly and you can provide you know, really good quality services. So it really changes every day and, and you really never know what's going to walk in the door. There's the challenge of helping people with long-term illnesses become better and, and improving their health, as well as dealing with acute emergencies and, you know, interesting undiagnosed illnesses that you get an opportunity to have a go at diagnosing, often using your examination skills and basically use the clinical skills that you learn at med school that actually do come in handy when you're in the bush. Going back to that specialist support network, that would have to be quite critical in terms of getting that support you need, particularly when you're facing medical situations which might stretch your capabilities or the the capabilities of the practice or health service you're working in in a rural area. How did you go about setting up those support networks? I think it's really acknowledging that when you are calling for help as a specialist, your specialty when you're in a rural area is the context. So you're a specialist in what's around you. What equipment do you have? What resources do you have? What knowledge do you have? And you're the one that is aware of what your scope of practice is and what the scope is of the service that you're working in at the time. I think if you approach it from that angle, you know, when you call a specialist, you're going to be talking to them with as much information as you can and also giving them an idea of the context so that they can understand why you're calling for a start and also to make that the most efficient and useful use of everyone's time. So I think being really respectful of the time of specialists when you call them and when you speak to them um, and also letting them know that what, what your expectations are in terms of providing good quality care. And that then becomes a really rewarding relationship for everybody, for, for the person who's seeking help and also for the specialist that you're calling. And, and I have to say that the way I build my networks is based on who picks the phone up, um, who's happy to answer my phone calls. And you've had a chat if they're willing for you to call them back, they give you your mobile phone number. Generally that gets squirreled away into my little dossier of helpful consultants. And certainly in the last 12 years in Mallacoota, where I am now, I'm slowly building that up over time. And it's not complete, unfortunately. There's still some gaps in certain areas. Yeah, it is actually something that is an active part of my practice is building up that network. Um, That professional network is really important. What would you say to someone who's perhaps a little bit concerned starting out as a junior doctor in somewhere that's relatively isolated from additional medical care that might be a bit worried about that sort of level of support? There is always a means of getting support and it's really just a matter of asking. So there's no need to necessarily be worried about it. It's just a matter of being willing to pick up the phone and ask questions. And I think acknowledging that you have limitations. So every doctor has limitations to the extent of their knowledge and their skills. And you you always need to work within those. So if you reach a limitation or I guess the the boundaries of your skills, then that's when you stop and you say, okay, you know, this is where I now ask for help um, and let somebody know that, that I need to sound someone out. Or um, even now, you know, I've been a remote GP for a long time and, and every now and again, if I just need, you know, because I'm making decisions alone, you know, I might call the local emergency department and just speak to one of the emergency doctors there and just you know run something past them and 
the more you do that, the more confidence that you build as well. So I guess it can feel a little bit daunting thinking about dealing things by yourself, but really in reality, you can only do what you can do. The treatment of patients is really only limited by, you know, your skills and your knowledge. And if you weren't there providing what skills and knowledge that you have, then that patient would really miss out. It would be great if more doctors were willing to give it a try and just knowing that the skills that they have are useful because if they're not there, then those patients have nothing or less access. You know, if there's long waiting times and difficulties filling rosters, the more people that are willing to give it a go, the better access people have. So I think there's a real opportunity to make a real difference as well. Um, so I think for me, that overrides any concerns about being in a, in a remote area. Thanks to our guests for taking the time to discuss their work and thank you for listening. You can find out more about the study and training opportunities across regional Victoria by visiting monash.edu forward slash medicine forward slash SRH. This episode was part of a series of conversations with doctors in regional Victoria. There's more episodes available which focus on a wide range of medical specialties. Find us on your podcast app of choice. And if you're enjoying the series so far, give us a five-star rating too. It helps us reach more people looking at a career in rural medicine. The Northwest Victoria and Gippsland Regional Training Hubs have commissioned this podcast to help medical students and junior doctors learn more about training and practicing medicine in regional Australia. There are hubs all across the country. To find out where your nearest regional training hub is, visit the link in the episode show notes or just search regional training hubs. And finally, this podcast was brought to you by Monash Rural Health, presented by Patrick Laverick, that's me, and it was made possible by funding from the Rural Health Multidisciplinary Training Program at the Commonwealth Department of Health.